This podcast is proudly brought to you by Infinity Media, incubating innovative businesses in the media industry. Hi, I'm Gordon Muller. I'm a guru in the Doc and Guru podcast. Thanks for being with us. For those of you who don't know me, I've spent over 40 years in the media industry in South Africa and uh, pretty much made it my home, my life, my passion. I have other passions, unfortunately, for my sins. I'm an Arsenal supporter and a Shark supporter, so we're going to do pretty much everything on the show as it pertains to media, marketing, and money, but we don't take jokes about Arsenal or the Sharks. I'm Doug Mateus, uh, the doc on the show. Uh, and again, for those of you who don't know me, I've uh, spent 30 years in, in uh, various companies in South Africa uh, running uh, different marketing functions. And the last job I had, I was privileged in, uh, enough to work with a team that took uh, the brand to the fastest growing brand in South Africa in 2018 with a 47% year-on-year growth. So that was a, a great achievement uh, for the team and, and, and I'm really proud of that. Uh, from a personal point of view, I do a little bit of cycling uh, and also snow skiing. So we quite enjoy that. But again, uh, today's discussion is around all things marketing and media. Yep, that's right, Doc. All things marketing and media. No subject too big, no topic too small, no subject too hot to handle. Please get in touch with us on our Facebook page. Follow us, like us, whatever it takes. We would love you to be involved with the show. And uh, we really want to make it as inclusive and as energetic as I know this industry is capable of. Morning, Doc. Good to see you looking uh, all set and ready for a bit of spring. Well, uh, Gordon, not as uh, summery as you in your Hawaiian-type shirt and your beach hat. I mean, this is this is quite flash. Absolutely. And, you know, it put me in mind of that uh, verse. I don't know if you used to sing it as a little kid. The spring has sprung, the grass has riz. I wonder where the birdies is. Or in the case of the COVID world, I wonder where the people is. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, it's bring it on. It's summertime now and... Uh, However depressing it may be to have to watch the Springboks during summer, <laughs> it is summer and we must enjoy. But, but at least two weeks ago, Gordon, I mean, geez, you guys had a magnificent win against Spurs. I mean, your arch enemy. So that was fantastic. It was fabulous. And, uh, you know, far be it from me to uh, to gloat over my uh, <laughs> my friends. It's not that I would, I would, I would you know name drop or anything like that in the industry. I'm not going to mention the Spurs guy. So, uh, you know, Dave Frankel and Pete Langschmidt, you can relax. I won't mention you. Oops. My, oh, my goodness. I, there you go. Right. But we have with us somebody who uh, we've been chatting to for a while, and we went on a wonderful webinar last week, which we'll talk about, uh, from Ask Africa. So Monique Pinar, who is the Ask Africa industry lead on FMCG and retail. So, Doc, this is your show to a large degree. This is your game. Monique, thank you for for coming into studio and braving the summer-spring mood. And you're actually here. So we know where the people is. They're in the studio. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. I am so excited to be here. I luckily also got the floral memo. I'm happy. I'm glad to be matching. 
and very excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Monique. And, uh, you know, we look forward to chatting with you about research insights and, and a whole lot of stuff in between. But, yeah, let me leave it to you, Gordon, to take well, it away. Well, you, you were chatting earlier, and I think it's worth revisiting. Um, I, I enjoy objectives, and I think part of the balance in life is objectives. And, Doc, you were chatting to Monique about her particular personal goal for the year. Well, I mean, let's start with that, uh, Monique. Yeah, I saw that uh, you want to hike 500 Ks in this year. So how are you doing? I mean, we're heading towards the last quarter. Are you on track, or how's it looking? Final stretch. I am a bit behind target, but uh, I think all marketers tend to perform under pressure. So, <laughs> uh, according to my own forecast, I'll probably reach about 400 Ks for the year, but I am going to try and double up a couple of weekends just to get to that nice round number. Well, you got to go with Gordon. I mean, he's the kind of guy that runs lockdown comrades and all the rest of it. I can't run a bath, so don't look <laughs> towards me for any guidance there. But I mean, yeah, obviously, you know, all the best for that. You know, I suppose, you know, one doesn't want to fall that short I guess mm. when you've set yourself that goal and and I suppose part of goal setting Gordon is always making it public you know it's always an apprehension of saying 100%. it you know because if you don't say it well if you miss it it's also cool because no one knows but once you've said it you can't unsay it and so you know all the best for that John. Absolutely I couldn't agree more and I think that that's critical whether we're talking marketing advertising set a goal make it public because if you internalize it the, the you know the, the opt-out option becomes way too easy and yeah I'm, I'm setting myself a target I want to I want to get to to do a marathon um, sometime this year it's It'll be 21 years since I've done a, a, a standard marathon. Uh, Ken Verigas has offered to sponsor me, but uh, only the first 10 kilometers. I think he's worried about the, the negative brand association on the, on, on the last 32. So, this reminds uh, me of those like primary. I don't know if you were in primary school used to get a piece of paper and just say you walk laps around the field and, you know, your parents would give you those days, I guess. It's like. 20 five cents or no, I'm not five rand for you, Monique. 20 cents when I was at school, but I mean, the point is, yeah, my parents would also only buy the first few laps, knowing that I'd probably flake out after a few laps. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, good luck, Gordon. If yeah. you are going to do it, and I'm sure you are, then uh, you know, again, I wish you also all of the best. Uh, please don't look towards me. I will maybe ride next to you on my bicycle with a water bottle, but that's well, there about you it. go. There's uh, <laughs> I've even got a second, but talking about laps around the house, Monique, you've you've uh, had a good couple of years now industry now but i'm still unclear what's an industry lead and fmcg and retail at a big group like ask africa just for the listeners out there give us a the a day in the life what, what does a couple of laps around your house look like on an average day? and then we'll get into talking about tgi and the webinar last week absolutely thank you so much well the day in the life of a researcher is never the same uh, I think you can plan as best you will, but you will get a surprise. Um, how I started my career was uh, I started in the advertising industry, um, working in below the line and shopping center marketing. I went on to FMCG at one of the leading companies and then now privileged enough to have been with Ask Africa for about five years. So lucky to have had kind of exposure on all of the elements of marketing or most of them at least. And in my day-to-day -day role, I work very closely with my clients. I specialize in FMCG and in retail. I work, um, I love working with the clients to understand what are the landscape changes, what are the challenges that different brands are facing, especially as, as shopping behavior is changing, uh, loyalty is changing, the landscape finances. There are so many variables that come into play. So really 
understanding the client's business problem and saying how can we get there together what information do they have internally that they can use how can we assist and how can we get at the end of the day link that to specific objectives as you mentioned link it to the specific objectives and really measure those outputs because unfortunately in this day and age it's very difficult to to negotiate for additional budget from a marketer's point of view so if you're not able to justify the spend, it does become a little bit difficult. Hmm. Well, it almost sounds like a hybrid between consulting and research insights. You know what I mean? As opposed to, you know, certainly, you know, when, when I was in the corporate space, the two were quite separate. You know, we had consultants periodically, and I didn't use a lot of consultants. But then from a research point of view and an insights point of view, it was often a research house like yourselves or, or one of the others that would come and do a piece of work, deliver the results, and then we would either implement or not implement the results. But very few times in, in my memory would we work hand in hand with the researcher you know to uh you know to do the post stuff certainly the the upfront stuff we'd agree you know what we wanted out of it uh so that's quite a quite an interesting uh quite yeah, an interesting and I, I think you picked up an interesting trend which i've been sort of monitoring or, or becoming more aware of in the last couple of weeks that back in the day i mean you, as you say research was research but more and more what i'm seeing is uh, particularly in my my lens always as you'll know is is the media world more and more of the genuine insights and the cutting edge angles are being generated by research houses rather than media agencies, which is mm-hmm. which is amazing and it shows the benefit and the value of of, of you know having first party data. But let's take a, a step back into the journey. Um, TGI, to the best of my knowledge, I think emerged in South Africa in around about 2003 <clears throat> as an alternative to to AMPS. At the time, TGI probably. Was the was the leading media database um, outside of South Africa and certainly in North America, Europe? Uh, they always wanted to know why we didn't use TGI. I was one of the early adopters uh, at OMD. We subscribed to TGI in year one. So, take us through that journey from 2003 to to, to now. Where does TGI fit into the overall kind of re- media research jigsaw puzzle? What are the big changes? What's the you know methodology shifted? Just take us through the journey. Absolutely, thanks, Gordon. Well, the best way for me to describe TGI is, especially in terms of how a marketer or a brand manager would use it, is to inform strategy. And as you go through the different stages of strategy development, starting with your diagnosis, your market orientation, um, market diagnosis, understanding where your segments are. TGI for me personally has always been able to indicate and inform each section of the strategy development. Um, We do have, um, sorry, (laughs) what we do with TGI, we're lucky enough to have 75% of the top 50 advertisers. So we work closely with advertising agencies, with media agencies, because TGI has quite a full scope of the data and everything is available in the one data set, which does really inform and give a holistic view, which I think is very necessary from a marketing point of view to understand and really inform not only who your target market is, but who also your potential target market could be. What other brands are they also using? What kind of cross-consumption can you consider for either secondary placement, for additional advertising spaces, and my favorite part probably being the psychographic information where you can really understand what makes a consumer tick? What makes them think a little bit different um, from one segment to the other? And what you can often do, especially because we can train some of the data, is start 
working with those with the trended data to see where potential shifts could be start working in forecasting data um, really trying to see where something can potentially spark and also inform around innovation and planning what best you can do for your brand so i'm going to lob that trended thought to the doc in a moment but let me just loop back on one thing just a point of clarity um over that the last 20 odd years or so there's been various iterations of subscription there was a point where agencies were able to subscribe then 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 not so what's the current situation now is it is it client subscription or can agencies subscribe as well we do have agency subscription okay, models so, so yes. that model has been mm. loosened up it's a, best size fits all kind of approach. Yes, okay. yes. It is a different data set, or not a different data set, but there's limited brand information. But okay. all of the category information is available, the media information is available, psychographics is available. Yep. So agencies have got access to, to either subscribe or work on a project base um, to really unpack. Okay, so they can chat to you about that. All right, Absolutely. now back to the trend thing. Doc, I mean, we've chatted about this. My view is, you know, that trending in a, in a quantum leap market is is pointless um do you trend mm. would you trend how would you trend what would benefit would you get out of the trend other than uh, or, or just rather than just planning in the moment and yeah. Nick, you can respond to that as well yeah you, you and i guess gordon you're specifically referring to the anomaly of COVID. now that you're saying the trend up into 20 early 2020 was probably fine would you have subscribed to a trend prior to that in other words, you would have tre- you would have taken trend data yeah. as valid and reliable up until then, and now suddenly the whole thing's thrown out. Up to a point, but I mean, let's. How would you trend a, a digital universe prior to TikTok? Yeah, I mean, I think TikTok's a bigger disease than uh, <laughs> uh, than COVID for somebody of my age. Of course, that's the, the kiss of death because I know I'm the only person in the world who doesn't like it. Everybody yeah. loves it, millions yeah. of people. So apart from people like me, but I mean, you, yeah. you couldn't. It's just been such a shift that any trend up to that point yeah. is is I can't imagine with the value I'd get out of it. Uh, yeah. DSTV uh, would be another one. There was a point where you know, 2003 DSTV subscription was X. Now, it can be any one of 20 kind of permutations. So, yeah, I mean, do you find that trending is still something that people are are, are dipping into your database for? Yes, yes. We do quite a lot of trending uh, analysis, but I think it's, in my opinion, it's really fit fit for purpose. So what do you want to achieve out of it? And where I've seen major successes in the past is when clients are looking at new product development or potentially forecasting their three, four year plan, we start seeing the indication in the trender data. Um, We do know that elements shift and for example, media, media has changed dramatically, but we also saw major shifts in 2008, Mm. again in 2012. Mm. But we saw those lead indicators, which kind of gives you that forecasting ability to say, Mm. here's something I need to understand more, Mm. which you then have the opportunity to unpack should that be a potential for a business or for your specific segment. Mm. Um, But yeah, personally, I love looking at the trend of data because it does show me um, specifically where segments moving towards but the basics the the basic values beliefs those elements don't tend to shift so drastically it's elements like media and specific category purchases that we do see certain shifts that really mm. kind of forms the best of both i was going to ask you a question you know I'd, I'd, and i don't know the and i'd like you to tell me would it depend, trend of data, that is, the validity or not of it, on a life cycle of a product or category? In other words, if you're a quite established, more mature product, 
would trended data work better there versus, say, media that is that is so disrupted? And you and I spoke a while ago, Gordon, one of our previous shows about business cycles and the yeah. shortening of cycles and disruption and, and reinvention and all the rest. So just to, to answer that, I mean, would, would that work better in a, in a more mature segment product or market or not? Um, definitely. I do think you'll also have a little bit of both. I do think the trend of data, obviously, in a very mature brand or a mature category, mm. you'll have a lot more information available. You'll have previous historic data to kind of give you that inclination of what it is potentially going to do going forward. Mm. A new trend, there are other elements or variables that you can include to try and predict as best possible what's going to happen with that segment. Mm. Um, but you do have instances, for example, in media, we saw a shift from Facebook dropping Instagram coming up, which also the moment that TikTok was launched, everything moved to TikTok. So even if TikTok, for example, um, doesn't necessarily have a lot of trended data, if you look at the segment, we could see the media usage for that segment change, seeing that the younger generation is showing a different shift when you compare them with other generations, which then gave the indication of, okay, these are the potential platforms that might make it big. Um, and sometimes the predictions are spot on and sometimes not so much. But that's yeah. the wonder of data. Yeah. I, I think that, that makes a lot of sense to me then. That, you know, you say that trending is not necessarily always a macro perspective. You can analyze a component of that and see where that shift and where that trend is is moving into a higher low or even the or even the 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 rate of of shift uh, is variable so i i guess that makes a, a lot of sense i mean I, and i suppose quantification i mean when you're working in strategy as i often tend to be um one sadly becomes a less kind of embedded in the quantitative outcome which is which is wrong it's a kind of a disconnect i think between strategy and and implementation so we you know you're less worried about the the nth degree of play out in terms of units of toothpaste sold for people who have got sensitive teeth kind of thing um but just coming back then to to those segments <clears throat> you've you've uh, in in the webinar last week and i know doc you've got a couple of questions there as well um made mention of generational cohorts and things like th uh, that um do you feel, how do you go about creating a segmentation that really has some kind of functionality? So generational cohorts being, being a good case in point that I, I did an exercise for, for one of your, your competitors recently where I looked at generational cohorts and digital consumption. But my, my cutoff for, for the cohort was the pre and post uh, you know the independence of so 1996 but you know the the universal factors which are shaping life in Europe or in the USA in 1996 are completely different so do our generational cohorts look and feel different to your global uh, version thereof you're listening to the dark and the guru proudly brought to you by infinity media Yes, there are, there are similarities, uh, especially in the generational cohorts, um, especially when it comes to certain perceptions, certain media usage, tendencies or perceptions around financial investments, those kind of elements. But the local market is definitely a little bit different, especially when you compare with a first world or a developed country. South Africa is a little bit behind, but we also a little bit more open. South Africa is a, we're open to taking risks, we're open to trying new products, which is any marketer's dream. Mm. 
but for me personally um the this the segmentation that i love using is when you work with a specific brand or a specific segment is to segment on psychographics so let's look at the mindset or the motivations or what drives that person mm. because doug you and i might not have the same demographic mm. but we might feel similar about our choice of cell phone provider mm. or we might actually feel similar about our connectivity and the likelihood that I need my phone to work every day. Mm. And in that instance, we would shop different, uh, similarly. Yeah. We would consider brands similarly. Mm. So what we've seen in a lot of the data is really if you segment your sections or your cohorts or your brand archetypes to similar inclined segments, that's when you get the beauty. Mm. Because this not only tells, enables you to really, really understand who your customer is, they're not just a number, they're the person that you want to take through that life cycle. And you can really give that persona life, especially mm. for the rest of the organization as well. Us as marketers, we get very excited with segmentation and all of these elements. The rest of the company, maybe not so much. So how do we bring that customer to the boardroom and say, this is our customer. Mm. This is what's bugging them. These are their pain points. These are their delight points. Mm. And then from there, you can easily adapt like your product offering. How do I cater for this? Um, and that's that's the beauty for me. Once you've got that those segments done, um, you can really plan the rest of your marketing strategy to keep that customer in your product stable. Mm. And I think just, I mean, just listening and, and and let's just talk about one of the big issues. And I think we've all read and seen, and certainly you're a lot closer to than I am, the change consumer behavior, the changing patterns, the changing tastes, the changing beliefs coming out of, I want to say coming out of COVID. I hope that is the right statement, <laughs> but somewhere on the COVID journey. Let's just talk about that. And I think one of the points, you know, uh, certainly out of Ask Africa was made is that there's a, a change and it's, and it's affecting marketers. Let's talk about that. Just a high level. What are some of those changes that you've picked up uh, and how South African consumers have changed? Great. Thank you. I think there's been um, change coming for quite a couple of years in just how South Africans look at their finances. I think COVID has really sped up a lot of change. Um, to understatement of the year was probably how COVID pushed digital completely. Mm. Because pre-COVID, there was already a higher digital inclination for South Africans to engage digitally, to start shopping online, whether it's e-commerce or e-commerce. But it was really the COVID pandemic that shifted it um, through that product or that, that innovation curve where it really just sped up. And the data is telling us that there's quite a number of changes happening. Um, the most interesting for me personally is where South Africa used to be a very price sensitive market, especially in the FMCG space. Price is not the main decision driver or the choice of criteria for consumers any longer. It's speed and convenience. And speed and convenience often is linked to a little bit more of an affluent market or a luxury product, but this is not the case. What we're seeing from the data is that the speed and convenience has got to do with how everyone's lifestyle has changed. I'm working from home. My kids are also at home. I need to juggle four or five roles so I don't have the luxury to go on a on a um, unplanned or a top-up shopping trip. We're seeing... South Africans are shopping less frequently than they used to. Instead of doing weekly top-ups, mm. we're seeing monthly top-ups, going to fewer retailers. Um, so all these elements influenced by the macro environment, 
um, does show how not only retailers and brands are being selected differently, but this also, in my opinion, has got a little bit of an impact on brand loyalty mm. or brand affinity, because we are see we see we have seen that brand loyalty is at its lowest level since two thousand and three. Um, personally, I think brand loyalty is different for different categories, for different brands, and for different industries. You will always have a certain affinity or a certain brand love, um, but it's not a blanket statement. But all of these external factors are affecting how we shop and how consumers have access to brands, whether it be on an online platform, going to a specific retailer. And these are just some of the shifts that we've seen. We've seen emotional changes as well, where South Africans are, are really looking. The data seems that we are recovering emotionally from COVID, although there is still a little bit of hesitancy. There's still a little bit of distress, yeah. which also impacts customer service ratings, mm. um, complaints, compliments, all of those elements. So quite a number of variables really making that landscape quite difficult yeah. for a brand to navigate and to, to stay on yeah. top of it. And I guess that's your earlier point, Gordon. And if you listen to just that snapshot view of many changes, it's quite overwhelming from a, from a trend point of view. So now you've got to stop it at that point, the trended data, and say, let's look at this big data set of four mm. or five massive changes. And the most, one of the most interesting, for what I'm just listening to you, is fewer shopping trips. Because I would have thought though, that with money being scarce and a lot of people having worked short time last year, lost their jobs, unemployment, 34, 35%, one of the highest unemployment rates countries ever had, I would have thought that people would have bought smaller baskets more frequently on a sort of a pay-as-you-go, if you use that term, basis. So it's quite interesting. I mean, obviously, we don't have the time, unfortunately, to go into that, but I'd, I certainly would like, that's one of the things I'd like to really understand. And then just let's touch on, before I hand over to you, Gordon, just in terms of, you were saying different brands and, and brand loyalties, one of the lowest that's a that's quite a broad statement just give us one or two categories if you can of categories where where the brand loyalty is really now falling through the floor where people are saying listen i'm going to buy whichever product i'm not going to buy the one that i would have chosen prior to to i guess this this time the time that we're in mm, sure so um doug we we're seeing unfortunately for the telco um industry and for banking we're seeing quite a big drop in trust Trust overall in South Africa is going down, not specifically just for brands, but trust in general has gone down, um, which does have an impact on the rest of the elements. So as consumers are less trusting, I think there's a lot of impact also on all of the poppy GDPR, where did you get my details, why are you phoning me every day, all of those almost changing a little bit of a, paranoia per se of where did you get my details and why are you contacting me which unfortunately in the telco and in the banking industry does kind of make it quite difficult for them um, but as I said there's no blanket approach uh, I know of some financial institutions that are doing a fantastic job by also connecting emotionally with their customers really understanding what changed during COVID and how do they adjust their offering. Let's look at some of the banks, m many of the banks, but the first couple of banks who said, let's, let's give you a payment holiday. I understand your situation. I understand what you're going through. And those emotional elements is actually what drives loyalty. It drives the fact that my brand or my supplier or my, my service company understands what I'm going through. I resonate with that, but really 
pushes loyalty. Mm-hmm. In an FMCG space, we're seeing specific brands that, that f- perform well on quality, that has always done well, um, remain consistent. Whereas impulse purchases, those kind of brands, they are feeling the punch a little bit more. Mm-hmm. We have seen a, a, an uptake the last couple of months, but hoping that it will definitely go back to its former standing. Yeah, look, I mean, it, for me, this is an interesting discussion, this, you know, um, absence of loyalty. I mean, I think, you know, if we think back, we had a recent session with uh, uh, Brand Finance, uh, yeah. with Jeremy, and, and we talked about intangible assets, uh, intangible assets, uh, and they've just recently published a, a global report on intangible assets, which is fascinating. I'd like to get Jeremy back on to mm-hmm. chat about that, um, where it was a ranking of the top 20 brands based on the percentage of, of uh, intangible asset contribution. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the top brand, if it was Google, if I'm not mistaken, and with, with the intangible assets run about 90%. So if there's no such thing as loyalty, I mean, then there's a big question mark around intangible asset. For me, that, that's intriguing. But coming back to the issue of trust, to what degree is it the, you know, the fact that I as a consumer am less trusting or are brands less differentiating? I mean, I was weaned on Rosser Reeves and USP. And if you go back to Rosser Reeves' book, Reality uh, in Advertising, the point of a USP was there was a genuine point of difference. It was a demonstrable point of difference. And they had the torture tunnel test and things like that. Now I go to a pick and pay and I'm confronted by two types of coffee, a Doe Egberts and a, and a Jacobs, both top class brands. The pricing at various points in the month can differentiate itself by up to a third. Mm-hmm. So w- there's no real differentiation in terms of two really top quality brands making an offer for me because at the end of the day, you know, the, the experience is within a, within a range of tolerability, I guess I would mm-hmm. call it. So I, I, just, I just wonder whether brands differentiate themselves enough or are we just relying on advertising to do that doc i don't know this is more your game yeah i guess uh, j- just let me ask a question so if you look at those two brands and i guess they're both in your consideration set gordon yeah. and if there was a third price difference would you then automatically choose on price so you would choose a or b based on the cheaper on the two on that day on that day but okay. are they, but but that's as a consideration set you're 100 correct of two yeah there's a very obvious brand i've left out of that which would which is not even in my yeah. two set yeah so i'd rather just kind of eke out another week from my little you know sort of yeah. diminishing supply yeah. uh, than then default to three so there's an inherent loyalty but I, maybe i'm an i'm an aberration in that regard i yeah. don't know but as i say, the key for me is there's not enough differentiation on quality um, yeah. to make me break that pattern. But it's, you know, it's also interesting and I guess, you know, we, we now I'm tempted to tell, you know, you always want to talk about your <laughs> personal, job, but, I guess, problem, yeah. but I guess we are consumers and I'll give an example of Apple. Now, I'm not a, a fanatic on, mm. on Apple. I mean, I, I happen to use one and it's all fine and dandy, but I just want a computer. So my Apple breaks the other day for no reason, just goes off. I go to Apple in Santon uh, and they charge me the quote is more than it would cost for a new computer, okay? So now I say, but, but hold on a second, what is wrong? It's like the drive. And I said, but you guys don't even make the drive. You, it's made by somebody else. So how, you're not putting a price premium on something. Now, there are those guys who sleep in sleeping bags outside New York and London. I'm not one of those guys. So I don't love the brand that much that I'm prepared to pay a premium. So obviously, I get tense. I take my computer. I say to my wife, just can you 
please get your IT guys at her company to look at it. They put a generic thing in. It costs me a fraction of the price and the thing works. So that's an example of one of the most prestigious brands in the world. And I'm a marketing guy saying, hold on, there's, there's a cutoff somewhere. It's not even a COVID thing. I just get irritated when people rip me off when I'm saying, but it's your brand in my head doesn't come the next guy will do it fantastic let him let him or her do it I wish you well but that's the interesting part so you get a consideration set where actually you're saying you've got Jacobs Daigbits and you're saying those two Nescafe hasn't come in as an example any other coffee brand I'm saying it's Apple or another so I've got another I've got a Lenovo I just use that as well and that's the interesting part of an Apple versus a computer I just use a computer not an Apple it just happens to have the badge on it and the difference between the in the world. Yeah, is it, well, there it is. It's the most iconic brand and the intangible asset component of that is huge. But we, we, I'm conscious of running out of time. And Monique, I mean, we've, we've referenced a lot of stuff here. Is there an easy access point, some downloadables? Um, was there a transcript, for instance, of the webinar last week? How can folks get hold of you and, and that stuff? Absolutely. So we will be placing the recording as well as some downloadables on our website. So please feel free to to check out the website www.askafricaafrica.co.za um, but I'm always open for a coffee so for anyone who would be interested in talking about consumers changes everything anything happening on the landscape can contact me on monique at askafrica.co.za and we'll make sure that the information is available and one last question and then I'm going to lob it to uh, to the doc I mean I thought one of the interesting points for me was the uh, localization of TGI. You made reference in that webinar somewhere along the lines of, um, in in terms of the questions, global, there are global standard questions and local market questions, and the balance was 89% local, 11% standard. It kind of intrigued me that how do you, so if you're a big uh, a Unilever or a PNG, whatever, you've got to report back into a global template. How do you find that balance between global kind of reporting with that local nuance because I thought it was a very powerful observation 89% locally adjusted Mm. questions well definitely Gordon and I think that's one of the the great advantages from using the global global data in in TGI Um, 11% might sound low but it's over 300 questions Mm. that represents that um, those that 11% so it's really quite vast and it covers anything from demographic information media specific categories uh, consumption specific brands so it does give global brands the opportunity to say how do I benchmark against my other either developing countries or my um, my emerged countries my developed countries and really see what the differences are the beauty for me has always been in the local context Um, when we sit with global brands Many a client has had a struggle to say, I need to defend to Mm. global why I should do my strategy different. I Mm. cannot copy paste. And that's for me where the beauty of the localization comes in. Yes. That makes sense. I've been there and and I've struggled with that many, many times. I think mm. that's a really good point. So it gives that opportunity for the marketer to also say, this is my business case. This is why I get that the global view is important, but this is why my market is different. This, these are my local nuances. This is how my market chooses to buy or use a product, uses a product differently, um, mm. and really be able to justify that 
online might not be the best execution for certain mm. products in South Africa. Mm. For others, mm. they work brilliantly, but really understanding how can you connect with a South African market. Yeah. Just a final comment quickly, because I think there's a big challenge coming for yourself um, as you know, in the TGR product for, for uh, maps, for PAMs, for everybody, which is something we've referenced, the North Star in terms of cross-media measurement. So there's a drift not a drift, there's an initiative driving hard towards a standard definition of what constitutes a viewer, a listener, a reader, etc. And there will have to be a, an aggregation of insights back to those points. So there's big challenges, I guess, watch this space, let's see how all of you big players um, kind of deal with that. But Doc, I'm looking forward to handing over to you. Um, I'm still disappointed you haven't got your speedo out. But, uh, I know you Eastern, no. you Eastern Cape boys uh, are quite uh, vilt at I, times. I but, told uh, you, Gordon, uh, even when I was a youngster, which I'm not, I'd wear baggies or, or you know, shorts, but not speedos. You're not so a budgie smuggler, I'm man. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to, we're not on the French Riviera as a, a middle-aged <laughs> Frenchman with your little uh, speedo. Uh, it's only your mate Fuff who can wear the speedo. But anyway. Let's not go there, yeah. Let's not get into that. Monique, thanks very much for your time. And again, you know, just to the listeners, uh, you know, Monique was kind to share her email. If you're a client, a prospective client, be part of the conversation. If you're a young person who wants to find out about a career within research and insights, we've spoken before on quite a few shows about don't get fixated about where you are if you have a view to where you want to go. And sometimes your career meanders, you know, it goes a little bit here, a little bit there, uh, etc. So to young marketers out there, also be part of the conversation. Uh, get onto the Ask Africa site. It's very comprehensive. You know, I've gone through in in uh, in quite a bit of detail. There's a lot of tools. We've just looked at one today. But I mean, get part of that conversation, Monique. In closing, thanks very much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. I had a wonderful time, James. Thank you Great. so much. Thanks Good. for coming and ciao for now. And so that was another episode of The Doc and the Guru. Please don't uh, forget to get a hold of us on Facebook, like us, follow us, uh, subscribe to the podcast. And then from my side, you can get a hold of me on LinkedIn, Dr. Doug Mataz. I'm uh, very active and very keen to hear about your views uh, and certainly will respond. And hopefully we can bring that into the show. Thanks, Doc. And it's uh, Gordon Muller, the Guru, signing off. Thank you for being with us and listening into this podcast today. You can pick up the discussion with me on my Twitter handle, at Mzanzi Media. And I'd love to engage with you on any of the issues that we've taken on in the show. And take us at our word. This is really going to be an open forum. There are no subjects that are taboo. And we'd love to have some of the younger, more under-listened, if that's the correct phrase, uh, voices to join us uh, in this discussion. Thanks for your time. The Dark and the Guru, proudly brought to you by Infinity Media, incubating innovative businesses in the media industry.